0: Well, we're picking up in our series here, so if you're, if you're here for the first time, we're, we're in a series, and, and it's called Christ in All of Scripture, and we're walking through each book of the Bible in a one, one-off preaching of the central, what we feel like is the central text of that book, and this is very difficult. Um, I'm, on, I'm on the fifth book of the Bible now, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this was the hardest one. I meditated day and night on this scripture, so I hope that you can understand Deuteronomy as it's the fifth book of the Bible, and it concludes uh, Moses' Torah, or law, the Pentateuch. And we conclude that section of scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, Uh, That's what you wanted to hear this morning was the book of Deuteronomy. That's what I wanted to study this week. And that's what we're going to see from the scriptures of what God wants to speak to us. So we need to awaken our hearts and minds to what God wants to say from his word in Deuteronomy. Amen? Amen. All right. This is Moses' last words, okay? This is his last words before he leaves. To go to glory. Last words to a people he has shepherded, he has overseen, he has been the mediator for a number of years through failure and success. Moses has been there. A new generation has arisen. one generation has died that failed to enter the promised land. We talked about this last week in the book of Numbers. They failed to enter God's rest because their lack of faith. And now Moses The man who spoke with God face to face as the scripture tells us that met with the Lord in the tent of meeting will not enter the promised land. It's it's a sad kind of twist to to the story. Moses, as, as you know if you read through the rest of the book of Numbers, Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. And because of his disobedience to what the word of the Lord has told Moses, he does not enter the promised land. He's only able to see it from far off. You see, Moses has struck the rock earlier in Exodus chapter 17 on the Lord's command. And he did, and the water came from the rock, but in Numbers 20, God tells Moses to speak to the rock, that the water will come out. I believe that it's, it's a really big deal here for the Lord. Why? Because it messes up the picture of Christ and misrepresents the cross of Christ and the gospel. Because the writer in the New Testament tells us the rock is Christ and Christ is only struck once. And thus Moses is supposed to speak to the rock and the water is supposed to flow from the rock. It's not to be struck again. It is a picture of prayer as Christ died once for the sins of mankind. And Moses, as a result of the misrepresentation of the cross of Christ, the type which would be Christ as the rock, does not enter the promised land. But I don't want us to lose hope, church, because how many of us would say, man, I'm as good as Moses, (laughs) right? That would be a difficult task to say. But that's not the end of the story. Moses' character comes out again in the scripture. And where do we see him later in the New Testament? He is on the mountain with Jesus at the transfiguration. You see, Moses wasn't able to enter into the promised land on this earth, but he was able to enter into what God was promising through the promised land. He was picturing through the promised land what he was pointing us to, the glory presence of God on his holy mountain. So the end of Moses' life, Moses gives God's people three sermons to remind them of God's faithfulness, calling for God's people, Israel, to walk in the grace that was given to them As the very people of God. Did you know that Deuteronomy is the most quoted book by Jesus himself? Must be a pretty important book. Jesus used what book to combat the temptations in the wilderness? He used the book of Deuteronomy. More than 80 times the apostles cite Deuteronomy in the New Testament. Kind of an important book, I would say. And the gospel is seen even in the structure of the book. Much of the law is given throughout the book. Much of the chapters within Deuteronomy are the law. Yet surrounded by the law given in Deuteronomy is what? The grace of God. The first four chapters show God's grace to Israel in the past. As Moses recounts the story of God's calling a people to himself, rescuing them from Egypt, bringing them into the promised land. God's story then serves us as the context and the motivation for keeping this law. The last four chapters are what? How, are how God's grace will be in the future to Israel. So the law is surrounded by grace. Keeping the law is thus a response to grace received and grace anticipated. God has prepared for his people to enter this promised land. A whole generation has died off. And now the little ones that they said would become prey are ready to enter the land that was promised. Deuteronomy means the second law. It comes from two words, deutero, which is second, and nomos, which is law or word. The second law is not the, na- the best way to describe the book because many view this as a list of rules and regulations to earn God's favor. Rather, Deuteronomy is a book that recalls who God is, what he has promised, and how he desires his people to live in his presence. Deuteronomy 4.1 describes this as such. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your father, is giving you. Now, this is the old covenant in which he has given to Israel. Now, God has shown his grace and favor. And now they are his people. And he is calling them to act like his people. But the book ends with a sober moment, and we'll talk about this later, in which Moses realizes that the people will be the same as Adam. They will be at the same as the forefathers in the wilderness. They will not keep the commands of the Lord. And Moses ends up pointing us to a new covenant. Deuteronomy 30 looks to a future day when God himself will circumcise the heart of his people and place his word within them. This is living in the grace of God. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12. I think it has a lot to say to us even today as we look at the old covenant with God's people and the renewal of the covenant in the book of Deuteronomy. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we're going to begin in chapter 10, verse 12. Chapter 10, verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Behold, the Lord your God, belongs heaven and heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers. He chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples. As you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn for the Lord. Your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. We open up your word knowing that you speak to through your word that it sharpens our souls, that it penetrates our hearts, that it convicts us to understand who you are, that we worship the Lord God Almighty. Father, we, we do not come before you on our own terms, but we come before you as a people who have been washed, who have been sanctified, who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and we worship you this morning with the preaching of your word. Help us to hear. Father, give us eyes to see, hearts to hear what you speak to us through your word. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May 19th, 2007, it it was a uh, big day uh, for the Lindley household It is when Jordan Ann Gibbs married Robert Roland Lindley II and we made a covenant before the Lord. And this was the terms of the covenant. I'll tell you our vows. This is what it said. I, Rob, take you, Jordan, to be my wedded wife, to love you as Christ has loved the church, to lay down my life as Christ has laid down his life, to shepherd, protect, provide, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part or Christ returns. This is the covenant of marriage that we made with one another. And in this partnership, Jordan and I walk together as one. We commit our lives to one another because I chose her and she chose me. You see, I don't have to obey the laws of the covenant, but I choose to. Why? Because I love her. And out of my love flows not only faithfulness to her alone but also a desire for my life to reflect God's goodness and his glory through our relationship. And just as I enter into a covenant with my wife, which we can see and understand in our culture and in our day, God entered a covenant with his people. God chose his people and they chose him. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and he chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. There is a warning at the end about God's steadfast love, about God's faithfulness, about about God rescuing, God redeeming his people, God doing all of these things for his people, that he loved them, that he chose them. And then he calls them and he says, you, you should obey the commands of the Lord. You should Follow your God. You should love the Lord, as Jeremy read, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. He's calling his people to reflect his glory. Gives them these laws to be set apart because he is holy. Moses calls for the people to live in obedience to their God. It's a call to love God through obedience to what he has commanded. Because the grace that God has shown and chosen and loved you, you should return that love with all of your heart. The crux of this passage that I've read here in in Deuteronomy 10 is verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Stubborn, that's good word. King James says stiff necked, unwilling to surrender. Uh, it's, It's no secret that the New Testament says every knee will bow. Right? Every knee, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Stiff necked is the opposite. Uh, all of humanity has been given this stiff-necked stubbornness, unwilling to bow their knee. You know, you know how I know that? I, I've had a two-year-old, okay? Uh, it, it begins around two. It's a real thing. It's called terrible twos. You that are they're either expecting mothers or, or, have, uh, or, or maybe have children one day. It is a real thing. The worst is when they learn the word no, right? Drink your bottle. No. Let me change your diaper. No. Come here. No. You know, they run away. It gets worse when they're 16, right? (laughs) No, dad, I'm not going to do my homework. I don't want to go to bed. But you can't, you can't make, you can't help but make fun of yourself from time to time and and uh this weekend we, we had a bunch of snow and we we were we we're, were doing fun stuff in the snow and and when your your wife warns you not to go on the kids snowboard <laughs> during the snow you're stiff-necked if you said no i can do it okay so in in one way they said it would be fun uh they said oh, you're almost 40 but you're too old for snowboard sn- snowboarding, and they were right. <laughs> Stiff-necked, stubborn. God is calling for a renewal of the heart. Moses is calling the people for a renewal of their hearts unto God. To have desires for what God desires to obey the Lord because you're so overwhelmed with his grace you allow the Lord to change your heart and be led by the spirit of the living God wow this is living in the grace of God because we all need hearts to be transformed let's look at verse 12 And know, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Does the Lord require obedience only for his glory? (laughs) For you're good here's point number one God desires for his people to walk in his ways God desires for his people to walk in his ways Moses answers his own question what does the Lord require of you what does the Lord require of you to be in covenant relationship with God Almighty what does he require of you It's the same requirement in the Garden of Eden as it is in the Old Covenant. To walk in his ways. Verse 5 gives five ways in which we walk with the Lord. Number one, to fear him. Number two, to walk in his ways. Number three, to love him. Number four, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. And number five, to keep His commandments and statutes of the Lord. What happened with Adam? He could not keep the commandments of the Lord. And a result, the fellowship was broken. And Adam is no different than we are. He is like all of creation who would not be able to keep God's commands. Yet God would pursue his creation. He would send one who would crush the head of the serpent to restore the relationship that has been broken. It is God's story of redemption. In his story of redemption, God continues to pursue his creation. And what have we seen in through the first five books of the Bible? He's called the people for himself which he has said all the families in the nations of the earth will be blessed through this one family that I have chosen. And he chose this nation, and he said, you will be a kingdom of priests to walk with him in his presence and to obey his commands. And what has God done? He has come to dwell among his people in the tabernacle and later the temple and the nation of Israel But how we've seen these things not turn out well. Almost immediately after they were given the Ten Commandments, the covenant in the Lord, they broke the first two. Building an idol and worshiping this idol in open defilement. Last week we saw them reject God's promised land, by not having faith to enter in. Even this generation, and Moses is speaking, at some point will rebel against this great God. They will not obey the commands that the Lord has given them. So what does it look like for mankind to walk in the ways of the Lord? What does that look like? It looks like Christ. The requirements of the law are completely fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And our faith is not in our own works, but upon Christ. The lamb who was slain, but our desire to obey God should be the same as Israel's desire to obey. Why? Because God first loved us. 1 John 4, 9 tells us we love because he first loved us. You see, the desire for the church to love God or to, to obey what God has commanded flows from the gospel itself. One of the core values of the church is love in action. And these five areas really summarize nicely what love in action means. Fear the Lord is the first one. What is fear of the Lord? It's knowing, understanding that what God hates and what he loves and hating what he hates and loving what he loves. It is the beginning of wisdom, knowing this God and understanding what he hates and what he loves. Number two, walking in his ways. Walking as if you are walking as he walks. Following his way. For us, it means to be like Christ. Paul writes it as having the mind of Christ. Considering Others more important than ourself. What about loving God? It means action. Jesus is the perfect display of love for mankind. He was the gift that God gave through his sacrifice. Jesus didn't merely love by words, but through his whole heart, soul, and mind. How about The service to the Lord. Christ is declared multiple times in Scripture. Isaiah 53 is maybe the clearest. The service of of God. The servant of God. Ready to do his will, not my will. Servants serve the Lord. And they serve one another as God gives them strength to do so. The last one, keeping the commands of God. 1 John 5 writes this, everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's interesting that John would write that. His commandments are not burdensome. And what does Moses say here? The things which I am commanding you today for your good. Are they not for your good? Moses wants you to recall that God's commands are not burdensome. They are not there just to do so that you cannot do what you want. They are actually for your good. For God's glory. Praise praise God we don't keep all 613 laws of the old covenant, okay? Okay? Praise the Lord that Jesus has fulfilled all of those laws and we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we look to a new covenant in the blood of Christ through faith in Christ. This is the best summary I've got. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no man can boast. Usually we end right there. But let's continue on. What does it say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just as God required his people to walk in his ways, so we who have been saved by grace through faith should walk in them as well. Does this mean our salvation comes through our works? No, it does not. Our salvation is in Christ alone because he has fulfilled all the obligations of the covenant. God in his steadfast love has fulfilled the obligation in which we could not fulfill. So when he created Adam in the beginning of the garden, he knew he would have to come to fulfill the obligations that we could not fulfill in order for us to have a relationship with him. And now we are called children of God. Therefore, we want to walk in his ways. Amen? Our obedience is not based upon duty. Our obedience is based upon God's grace. And when our pleasure and our desires and our heart match up with duty, we have become a people who are led by God himself let's go on verse 14 behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and heaven of heavens the earth with all that is in it basically it's telling us that God is big he owns everything And guess what? Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day, God has chosen you. So what does that mean for you people who God has chosen to be his people? What does that mean for you? Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. This is This is what the second point is this morning, a new heart is needed to obey. Moses tells Israel, God has chosen you. He has redeemed you, he's rescued you, his presence has come to dwell among you. And now he's calling for a changed heart. You see, there's a problem with man's heart it's described in Genesis 6 in the flood narrative. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We've got a heart problem, man, woman, people, created beings of God. We have a heart problem. The biblical writers talk about this heart all throughout the text. And they pick up on this theme. They realize that a new heart is actually what is needed for God's people to obey. And Moses begins this idea with this text that there needs to be a circumcision of the heart. That's a weird word, right? You, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't know what that is, you can talk to your parents. They'll tell you what it is. But God gave Abraham and his descendants the mark of circumcision as a physical reminder that they were cut out from the world, that they are set apart to serve the one true Lord. It was an outward sign that they wanted to be the people of God, okay? They wanted to be the people of God. A branding, if you will. But it was always through faith that God's people would enjoy the fullness of his blessings. It was only through faith, not just the outward sign, but through faith. And now Moses is calling this outward sign of being set apart to be God's people to now move inward. That the desire of God's people would be to love God with their heart so that they no longer would be stiff-necked. That they would be able to obey God. Moses is showing that God's people need to move inside to this heart realm. Yet Moses understood that it would be God that would be able to give the people the heart that they need. Because later in Deuteronomy 29, verse 2, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all this land, the great trials you saw, that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Moses understands something. God had not given them a heart to obey. And unless God gives them a new heart to say, I am the people of God internally, a desire to obey God, they would not be able to understand, see, or hear, or obey. And then... In in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, he says this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So what is happening here? I'm sorry if this is getting theology wise, but what is happening here? Moses is saying, you don't have the heart to obey, but God can give you that heart to obey. And only God can do that. The prophets talk about this continuously. Ezekiel 36, 27. And God says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what is God doing? He's saying, I need to give you a new heart and I will do it through my spirit. You cannot do it. I will do it. It's the same as the gospel. You cannot keep my commandments, therefore I came and fulfilled all the commandments. You cannot circumcise your own hearts, therefore I will circumcise your hearts with the spirit of the living God. The prophets look forward to the day of the new heart in which God will place on their hearts the law. God himself will place on their hearts, a willingness and a desire to be obedient to the word of God. This is what it says in Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and they will I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord well I will forgive their iniquity I will remember their sin no more God will do it himself he will replace the hearts of his people how through his spirit in which he gives them to obey god and paul picks this up in the new testament In Romans chapter 2, verse 28 For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, what is God doing here? God is saying, I know I have given you these commands in which you are to respond to the grace of God that God has given through his salvation. You are to circumcise your heart, but you cannot. And I know that you will fail but I will do it through my spirit, which I will send because I have made you clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. So now, you know, God gives you a new heart to obey church. You have a new heart. You've been given the spirit of the living God and God has written His word upon your heart to obey. But just as circumcision requires action to say, I am set apart as the people of God, God's Spirit works. According to people who willfully submit themselves to the Lord and His work in their life, we call this repentance, a changed mind. Again, we're getting back to repentance and faith faith that Christ is God's provision for salvation and repentance a willing to turn from your own ways, your own thoughts your own desires and to walk in the way of the Lord God Almighty and allowing the spirit of the living God to give you a new heart to obey his commands because God wants to change your heart and give you the ability to obey his word but you cannot do that if you're stiff-necked and stubborn. And you do not allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. This is called a new creation, a new heart, a new desire. And he's given his church the ability and the desire to actually follow the Lord. Let's end here, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So since God is the God who loves the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner, should we not love those things? And then he says in verse 19, "'Love the sojourner, the the foreigner. Therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, hold fast to him by his name.'" You shall swear he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness. He's reminding them of who this God is. He's reminding them that they should be like him. This is our third point. Remember the grace received and know the grace anticipated. I mean, now, now that I know how this works, how God works in the life of his people, what's my part in this, right? Right? First Moses says, know the Lord. As my dad would say, know who you're dealing with. The mighty, the awesome God who sees the orphan, the widow, who sees the foreigner and provides for them. He is your praise. He is your God. Remember the grace you received in his great salvation in Egypt and look at you now as numerous as the stars in heaven. It is not because you are good, but because of his steadfast love. His hesed is the, the Hebrew word for steadfast love. This is why God does all of his work that he does in Christ and choosing a people for himself and saving those people from their slavery. It's because of his steadfast love, his hesed. And at the end of this book, Moses knows the people will not keep the covenant. This is what he says, Deuteronomy 31, 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. It's pretty plain and clear. God knows that his people will break the covenant, that they will go into idolatry after they're gods. Moses will die and the people they will not continue to walk in the ways of God. Yet God will not abandon his creation, will he? Even though they will abandon him, his steadfast love will endure. He will send Christ Jesus, not only to save his people, but to bring about a new covenant in his blood. Not because we were good, but because of his grace. So church, when we remember the grace received, we must remember that God, in His steadfast love, fulfilled the covenant of His chosen people so that we, as Gentiles, could be ushered in to that covenant as God's holy people. So, what do we do, church? How do we live out? How do we walk in the grace of God today? We do what was called for in the days of Moses. We remember the gospel in our life. We remember God's grace in our life, changing our heart and mind to allow the spirit of the living God to take up residence in our life, to make our desire his desire, to allow God to write on our heart the ways of God so we will reflect his glory as his people. And guess what? We anticipate the return of Christ. That we, his people who are imperfect, will be taken to glory because he was the perfect sacrifice that died on the cross and our faith and our trust is in him. So we as the people of God remember the grace received and know the grace anticipated in glory.